Amen. Good morning, City Light. Everybody new and joining us for the first time and everybody online recognize you guys. Uh, I've been with you guys for the last couple of months uh, commenting and stuff with you guys online. So it's great to see you all. Great to be here. Great to see you all in-house, right? It's such a joy to meet with the people of God in his house. And it's a joy to preach God's word to you guys today and to be the family pastor here overseeing kids and families and serving and making disciples. It's great. Uh, I've already learned some of your guys' names and faces. Uh, You will learn my wife and my three daughters, Mosley, Blair, and Penny. You'll learn their faces eventually as we go, and we're here for a while. And uh, this is a great thing, and Happy New Year. Uh, I know last year was a little rough for everyone, and us included. Uh, We had a job change, a good job change, but that always brings some stress. Uh, It was our second out-of-state move in one year, which is kind of crazy, And we've been living at my parents' house for the last four months. All seven of us jammed in there. It's great. We are thankful for them. Thank you, Mom and Dad, who are probably watching. But hallelujah, we have a house coming. It looks like the beginning of February we will move into our own place. Uh, I grew up in Omaha. Amy grew up in Papillion. And so we are still Husker fans wherever you put us. Sorry, not sorry. Um, It's okay. It's a good thing. You hired us. (laughs) That's your fault. All your fault. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking or feeling about this next year, but what I can assume uh, is that whatever you're feeling is coming in this next year, you're feeling it a little more intensely, right? You're you're thinking like one hand, it's going to be a great year. Things are going to go right. And you're looking forward to a big turnaround. Or you might be saying, I'm not sure about this year. I have a little, I'm a little cautious stepping into it. I'm expecting or bracing for bad news or more unknowns and more change. And we're all kind of asking a similar question of like, what is this new year going to bring? And is this next year going to be better than the last year? It's a good question. And it's a little more intense when the last year was 2020. It's pretty bad. And so uh, what we can all gather around and see that this bar for this next year is incredibly low. And uh, I I mean, (laughs) good, you're laughing at things already. This is good. All right, we're doing good. Uh, It's incredibly low. Like if Nebraska could just not disappoint us on most Saturdays in the fall, that would be great. That's a win for the year. Or if this entire year was the most uneventful, boring year on record, that would be immense progress. Like that would be a good thing. I would take that. But what I want to give you today, what Scripture gives us today and will give us today, it shows us how the bar for the future is incredibly high, but the hope for the future is incredibly high. So high, as Paul takes us to 1 Corinthians 15, so high that he shows us that it'll change our life, that this high hope that we have that he shows us will change our life. So our main point for today is that Jesus promises resurrection and victory so we can live our lives with strength and meaning today. We have these two anchors of hope and these two encouragements from Paul that Jesus promises resurrection and victory so we can live our lives with strength and meaning today. So grab your Bibles, your phone, your app, whatever you want. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. The verses will be on the screen too. Let's take a look together. We'll be reading from verse 50 through 53 first. It reads, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Our first anchor of hope for today is the promise of resurrection. Paul is here revealing a mystery that at the end of this age, when Jesus returns, his followers get to inherit the kingdom. And inheriting the kingdom is not simply getting into heaven when we die. Inheriting the kingdom is experiencing the unhindered goodness and glory of God as king. Inheriting the kingdom is having a place and a purpose in our heavenly father's kingdom as his royal child. No, the promise that we are promised by Jesus is not that we simply die and get in. The promise is that we will parade in, resurrected as his kids into our Heavenly Father's kingdom. Our entering into the kingdom is not the mourning of a funeral, but the joy of a wedding reception as the bride and groom are announced and everybody goes crazy and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. It's a surprise birthday party. It's the joy of a baptism and to experience the life that God has in mind for his people that he is promising here. We need our perishable or perishable mortal bodies, our dying, corruptible parts of ourselves to be changed like it speaks of here. And in verses before, it talks about us being glorified with spiritual bodies like a seed going into the ground and and raising into a plant. What God has in mind for us is not bringing us back to life, to the same old thing. He's not trying to give us more time in this frail body, in this broken world. There needs to be a change so complete in us that it can only happen by a resurrection. And we cannot work our way there. We cannot earn it. The life giver has to give us new life. And he promises that he will. Why is this so critical for us to know and believe Because this promise gives us hope now. A sure promise to hold on to until Jesus returns. There's a time coming where death is not found everywhere. Where we receive resurrected life under his full reign. And we won't need to fight off sin and sickness anymore. The hard part is that until then, life is never going to be that good. We are still immortal, perishable bodies in a broken world, and it will be hard for every one of us to live in this world. And we can be honest about it. I know we've had rougher years than we tell most people. Amy and I have, my wife and I have, pastors and church leaders are not immune to stress and unknowns. Everybody's not immune to to the goodbyes, the tears of goodbyes, and the difficulties that come when things don't work out quite like we think. So even if this next year trips over its low bar, we can be honest with each other about it. We can invite somebody into our world. Everybody knows that everybody else is still living in brokenness and we're not yet resurrected into our Heavenly Father's kingdom. And we can encourage each other with this promise, this hope, these words of hope. Our brokenness does not get the last word. 
Through a resurrection, followers of Jesus will be made new and whole and enter into God's kingdom. And this is good news promised by God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we cling to. And it is so sure that Paul doesn't even bring himself to say that people die. He just says they're sleeping. They're taking a nap. Jesus says this about a little girl that he resurrects. It's so sure that we can cling to it. It is so sure that we have our resurrection rain check for when he returns. This is our first anchor of hope that Jesus promises us resurrection into his kingdom. Let's look on our second hope because Jesus promises resurrection and victory so we can live our lives with strength and meaning today. Read with me 1 Corinthians 50, 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our anchor, our second anchor of hope, is the promise of victory. God is simply not trying to give us more time or infinite time in this frail body. He is promising to destroy death. And death in these verses goes beyond simply our bodies failing to breathe, beat, breathe, or think. It goes into so much more, and Paul clues us in with two Old Testament quotes. The first quote is the first line from Isaiah 25, 8. Let me read the whole verse to you. He will swallow up death forever. That's our quote. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. So death includes everything that truly makes us cry tears of sadness. The loss of loved ones. The abuse inflicted on kids and adults. Loneliness. Hopelessness. All of that is a part of death, and it will be wiped away. Like the tears Amy and I cried when we had our miscarriage a few years ago. Or the tears we cried this last March when we lost a, lo a longtime mentor of ours to a fast-moving cancer. Wiped away. Death also includes everything that brings reproach everything that we can be called out on, everything that brings shame, disgrace, or guilt. For some, the shame is falling to temptation, being caught or called out, looking at that website again, looking or blowing up in anger again. Every failure, every foolish or evil thing that could be pinned on us because of our sinfulness is a part of death. And this is saying that it is gone defeated, tears wiped away, sin forgiven, swallowed up in his victory. To help us grasp and feel how complete this victory is, Paul quotes Hosea 13, 14 in the next two lines. The whole verse reads, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O death, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Death is so thoroughly defeated by the Lord that he mocks it with a compassionless, cold stare. 
These questions are not here to get answered. They're here to emphasize death's defeat and how the Lord biblically and righteously trash-talks it. Its claim to fame has vanished. Death's effects can no longer be found. Hallelujah. Paul continues on the next line. He shows us that the sting of death, all this sadness and reproach is experienced in our lives through the effects of our own sin and the sin of others. It's like necrosis where you're still living, but something happens to your living tissue that causes it to die prematurely. Don't Google it. It's gross, literally gross. Eric gave me feedback on this sermon, looked it up, and regrets it. It's bad. It's debilitating. It leaves people's bodies marred. You are still living, but that part of your body is dying. And this is sin effect. This is what sins affect on us in our lives right now. Because as we live, sin kills us. It kills joy. It kills peace. It brings tears and shame. The power of the sin, the power of sin is the law because the law holds us guilty. It shows us what sin is, how bad it is, commands us away from it. And when we break it, it holds us guilty. It's like Adam and Eve. They had one law, one. Don't eat of that tree. They break it. They're held guilty, guilty. The, the curse of sin, the curse of death is applied to them because of the law. The power of sin is in the law because it declares us guilty. It cannot save. We need victory. The opposite of the kind of death spoken here is not more life, more time. It is the victory of Jesus Jesus died on the cross and rose again and left a tomb empty to bring us this victory. Thanks be to God, like the Scriptures say. And His Word says that He is gifting it to us, present tense, from the Greek and back. This is for now. Even though total victory in the future feels far away, this is for now. And one way we can live in this victory now is through repentance. Repentance is the fancy word for when we realize that what we are doing is sin and say no more. We confess it for forgiveness and help, and we seek to change. And even the smallest step of repentance is tasting the victory of Christ. Every time we rethink what we're doing, every time we recognize the the sin that is bringing death to us, Every time we seek to change, every time this happens, we are experiencing Christ's victory because we are no longer enslaved to sin. Oh, death, where is your sting? I'm going to call out greatness in Doug and Eric. I've only been here a few months, but I can see it. We have a pastor's meeting every Wednesday, and on a recent Wednesday, we talked about this stuff, about us confessing and repenting to each other. It's not a shame thing. But we are confessing about how sometimes we don't love our, our wives that well. And we prayed with each other, encouraged each other. That is us. We're still trying to experience the victory in Christ over sin. We don't want it to ruin our lives or the lives of our family. Many of you are taking steps of repentance. I've had conversations in the, in, uh, the past weeks with people that are stepping into repentance, either for the first time or ongoing. One conversation I had was a guy that had an idol of work and was putting his work above God and helped him take it, 
take steps of repentance, to see it and to call it out and experience victory in Christ. I've helped other people in the past weeks take their first steps into repentance over sexual sin. I've helped other people in the past in a years-long battle with it, but come to see their life changed, to see repentance and the victory of Christ permeate their life. For some, repentance is a brand new thing. It can be daunting and and scary, and we're unsure of what's going to happen. But no, that is not meant to bring sadness and shame. It's meant to pull you away from it. For others, this is not new, but our sin can be hard to even identify. We get used to having a sin struggle. And for both groups, I want to encourage you to not let it be like an old injury. You just take some Advil to numb or take a few hours of Netflix to forget. Get rid of it. Repent. Ask a brother or sister to help identify it. Ask God to help you see it, for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to see it so you can repent and get rid of it. Christ has gifted us this victory so that we can step into repentance without shame, but confidence in him. This promise of victory is our second anchor of hope. Because Jesus promises resurrection, and he promises victory, so we can live our lives now with strength and meaning. So we have those two anchors. Paul is now going to give us two encouragements today. Read with me in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We have the promise of resurrection. We have the promise of victory. And now we can live our lives today with strength and meaning. And the first encouragement is that we can live our lives with strength. Paul describes this posture of strength as being steadfast and immovable. Think of a house, a well-built brick house. It's not meant to bend in the wind or sway with what's going on outside. It's meant to be firm and rigid. This is the idea with steadfast. That same house is also not meant to get up off its foundation and move someplace else because it thinks the grass is greener on that side of the fence. It holds its ground. It stays put. This is immovable. And this is us when we hold fast to these promises, where we don't let circumstances waver us from the truth and the peace and the confidence in him. That whenever we experience brokenness in the the world again, his promises are always there. In other places in the Bible, Paul describes the opposite of this as shaking and wavering with doubt, changing our belief because of our circumstances, switching our hope because of something that's happening outside. Steadfast and immovable here is standing on those, not letting our hope switch to another thing. And let me confess, I fall into this sometimes. I look forward to moving here, to getting settled, getting into a house. And sometimes I think that that is going to put everything together. That is going to give me peace. That that is the milestone that I need to hit to feel okay. And it might be a good and wise decision to do that. But ultimately, is it a temporary hope with temporary peace? Being steadfast and immovable 
is having that milestone in the future of these promises, where we look towards the promise of resurrection and victory as the milestone that gives us strength, gives us peace and faith-filled confidence no matter who or what is trying to convince you otherwise, or who or what or anything is going to try to take its place. We stand on His promises. And Jesus doesn't promise to make the world steadfast and immovable. He promises through resurrection and victory to make us steadfast and immovable. So our first encouragement is that we can live with strength because of these promises. The second encouragement is that we can live with meaning. When we do the work of the Lord like these scriptures say, none of it is ever going to be empty or purposeless. Ever. It matters for all time. And we're to abound in it and do it a lot. So what does this look like? It looks like obedience to his commands, making disciples, sharing the gospel with people, serving each other in love, and continuing to help each other follow Jesus. No moment of any of that is in vain. Even if it doesn't seem to work, he can use it. There's a purpose beyond what we can see. Like when one of my former junior high students, who was all jokes, looked at his phone during youth group time the entire time. I made rules because of him and what he did. I later got to baptize him. God is working and he's at work and we're supposed to abound in his work because it always matters. The difficulty with that student mattered. was not in vain. Or like when you're serving in kids' ministries where on one hand it goes terribly, and you're pretty sure those kids got together beforehand, made a plot, this elaborate plan to interrupt you at precise moments for maximum annoyance. Or on the other hand, when it all works out and kids' eyes light up, the spiritual lights turn on and kids express faith, both of those are worth it. Neither one of those are in vain. We're to keep doing it. Both can happen within five minutes on a Sunday morning. (laughs) The kids are good. Or when you're a parent and you're striving to simply read the Bible with your family and honor the scriptures that instruct us to disciple our kids, and whether that gets derailed from a text message or something simple, or you see the Spirit move in your family through prayer and worship in His Word, both of those are worth it. And we're to keep doing it to abound in that work. Or when your city group had to change plans and go online, and it simply wasn't the same. Your mission to love and reach the city with your neighbors with the gospel looked different. Community and connecting with each other relationally felt less tangible through a screen, but you pressed in, you kept going. Like the folks on the Wednesday night city group, it's all online. They have pressed into being in community. Or the Almond City Group that pressed in to run Operation Christmas Child. All of this, while a change and may not seem to work, all of this meant something. All of it was worthwhile. All of it matters. Keep going. Keep abounding in His work, even if it doesn't seem to work. It's all worth it when it's the work of the Lord. Keep going. Abound in it. So let's be honest, you and I are both going to wear sweatpants to video meetings for most of 2021. 
It's practically an art form now. I am not sorry that I do that. <laughs> but our hope for the future is that Jesus promises resurrection and victory so that we can live our lives with strength and meaning today. We can stand now steadfast and immovable and do the works that will still matter when he comes back. Let me pray for us to this end. Heavenly Father, your word promises us resurrection and victory to enter into your kingdom. Father, that you will defeat death. And then we can experience that through Jesus. Father, would you plant these things in our hearts? Would you help us to grasp a hold of these anchors of hope in our life? So that we can be steadfast and immovable. Our hope won't change from you. That our work will be, be your work. And it will be meaningful. And it will never be in vain. Help us to do it a lot. Father, work this in us. Father, help us to see these promises. Help us to hold on to these promises. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.